know, sometimes we wonder, can I make a difference in life? There was a deacon at a church in Boston some years ago who was wondering the very same thing. He wanted to be a pastor, but he didn't sense that God really had called him in to be that. Didn't know if he really had the graces for that. So he never was a pastor, but he thought, well, what can I do? Kind of like the wave. What, what can I do? What can I do? And he was thinking about that. And he decided this was what he would do. For Sunday lunch, he would find young guys in the city who had no family in that area. And he would invite them to his house. He always set two extra place settings at his table. And so he would have at least two guests there. And then he would interact with them. He would, he would find out about their life. They'd find out a little bit about his. And they'd be able to share life together. And he, being a follower of Christ, was able to share Christ with them. Some years passed, he did pass away. Upon his death, they were going to have the funeral, but they were going to have his burial in a suburb outside the city. And so what they did was they rented a train. And in renting the train, they said, if you came to Sunday lunch at his house and you came to Christ at Sunday lunch, we want you to ride on the train. 150 people rode the train out to the burial. You know what? I've got a feeling that every one of us in this room can do something to influence and encourage somebody to Jesus Christ. You don't have to be profound. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be the smartest one in your family. God loves you. He made you, and He wants to use you just like you are. He wants to use you in some way. It kind of reminds me of the story here in Luke chapter 5 that we're looking at today where Jesus meets up with Matthew. You've heard of Matthew, but do you know the backstory of Matthew? Scripture and history tell us a little bit about him, so we know a little bit of the backstory. And so we're going to watch as Jesus, we're going to kind of walk along with Jesus as he meets up with Matthew and see these interactions to show us how even though this guy has a title, even though this guy has a position in culture, Jesus meets up with him and his message of salvation still was for him. And it impacted him with great relevance and massive significance. The first thing I notice is that Jesus associated with Matthew. You notice, first off, Jesus associated with Matthew. Now, the Jewish people hated tax collectors for the most part. They didn't like them. The reason they didn't like them is because they represented the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was over the Jewish culture, and so they don't like them. Another reason they didn't like them is because they had a reputation, some of them, not all of them, some of them had a reputation for overcharging. And so they would overcharge. You don't like it when somebody burns you, right? Somebody does you wrong. You just feel it. It violates who you are, right? You don't want that. And it would violate the people. And they just feel like, man, this, this isn't right. This stinks. And they just felt burned by that. And we hate being gypped out of something by somebody else. But all of them were not horrible. and All of them were not bad. And it didn't mean they were not going to have to pay taxes. As a matter of fact, one day they tried to trap Jesus on who was, who was supposed to be in charge. And so they said to Jesus, uh, they said, um, are we supposed to give to Caesar or are we supposed to give to God? Well, they thought they had Jesus. That was a good one. But you really realize, even though your question may be important to you, it's really got an answer. Even if you don't really like the answer, it's got an answer. And Jesus said, no, no, no. He said, you're supposed to give to Caesar whatever belongs to Caesar. In other words, pay your taxes. And you're supposed to give God what belongs to God. What's that mean? Your tithe and offering. That's what he's saying. So give to God the things that belong to God. Then we've done that today, right? And so we participate in what, what the scripture will be talking about here. Now, there are a couple different types of tax collectors. Let's look at a little history lesson here. Just stay with me because this could be interesting, kind of help set the backdrop for the significance of what Jesus is doing here. There's a gabai tax collectors, a word you don't run around saying very often, G-A-B-B-A-I. And they are tax collectors. They collect money on property tax, tolls, uh, income, things like that. And those are set fixed uh, rates. 
And they're not going to overcharge you. They're just going to charge you what you're supposed to pay. So everybody pays the same, whatever it is that the government has set. Then there's a, a group called the Mokish. M-O-K-H-E-S. It's pronounced Mokish. And the Mokish people, they, they had two categories. They had what they would call the big Mokish. That means the people who were behind the scenes, and they were over regions of tax collectors. Zacchaeus, you remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was a, he was a great Mokish. He was over a bunch of people. You remember that? So he's over a bunch of people. That's who he is over. He may even have been over Matthew. I'm not sure. But Matthew is considered a little Mokish. Now, a little Mokish means this. You sit at your table or in your business, and you interact face-to-face, one-on-one with these people. So when people come to pay taxes, you interact with them. The Mokish, not the Gabai, but the, but the Mokish are the people who will overtax you. In other words, catch a load of this. They will tax you on the fish. They will tax you on anything pulled, uh, pulling an axle. They will tax you on any kind of lumber, any kind of thing they can. They're going to tax you. And what they do when they tax you is very interesting. They will overcharge you. Now, the Roman government, they're going to get their fair share from these guys, but they can overcharge you, and the Roman government knows they're going to do it. And what do they do with the rest of that? They pocket that. That's why in your Bible, when it talks to you and tells you, that they didn't like tax collectors, that's why. Now you know. That's why they didn't like them. And the thing is, Matthew was one of them. So people didn't like Matthew. Do you have anybody in your life you don't like? You love them just enough to get to heaven? You don't like them one bit? Can hardly stand and stomach them? You have anybody like that? If they're sitting by you, don't elbow them. (laughs) But there's some people in our lives that are harder to love, harder to like, right? It just happens. It's the way it is. These people were kind of like that. Any self-respecting citizen would not be a tax collector in this culture. As a matter of fact, to help us get even a clearer picture of who these tax collectors were, Max Lucado writes this, combine the greed of an embezzling executive, the audacity of an ambulance-chasing lawyer, and the cowardice of a drive-by sniper, stir in a pinch of a pimp's morality, finish off with a drug peddler's code of ethics, and what do you have? A first century tax collector. And I ask you again, who associates with the guy named Matthew? This guy? Jesus. Jesus. I know something else in this passage is very interesting, verse 29 through 30. Jesus transformed Matthew. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't diss him for the way he was, but he showed him what he could be. And when he met him, Matthew says, well, yeah, I'm interested in that. You see, Jesus looks at every person, and a lot of times we label people, don't we? They're tall, they're short, they're rich, they're poor, they're smart, they're not smart. We label them. Jesus loves them. We see problems with people. Jesus sees possibilities with people. The value of a person depends on your viewpoint of people. If you view people as valuable and worthwhile, you'll see them as possibilities. As a pastor, it's been a great opportunity for me to have an education in my own life. An education not gotten at school, but gotten in life. Whenever you see somebody and you're looking at them and thinking, oh my goodness, oh boy. And Jesus looks at them and says, oh wow. Wow. And he transforms them and changes them and makes them into something special. 
I've seen that happen so many times. It's so rewarding to be able to see that. I'm thinking of names, but I'm not going to say them because you know some of them, and you are some of them. Jesus got a hold of you and has made something beautiful out of your life. That's who he is. <laughs> That's what he wants to do with you today. It's what he wants to do with me. It's what he wants to do. And Jesus associated with unlikely circles of people. He got around these unlikely people. Matthew, look at verse 29. He says, well, I want to throw a banquet. I want to throw a, it, another word you can use interchangeably there according to the original language is reception. He says, I want, I want, to, I want to throw a banquet for Jesus. I want to be able to throw this party for Jesus because Jesus has done something really good for me. I want to be able to share who he is, what he is with all my friends. Well, then he gets to think about who are his friends. He doesn't necessarily have all the cool, cool people as his friends, does he? He says, well, the religious people come by. I'll invite them. Maybe they'll show up. I mean, they're supposed to be nice to people, religious, right? Yep. So he invites religious people. And then he's thinking about who else can I invite? Well, he knows the guys who run the lumber yard. He invites those guys. Yep. Mm -hmm. People down to fishing. Well, he invites those kind of people. But he also invites people like prostitutes and pimps and, and drug dealers and other people like that. You say, Kev, are you sure? Well, look at verse 29. It talks about the people that he invited, and then it says, and others. He knows of everybody. He invites all these people to his place. And so he invites them to honor Jesus. He wants to show what Jesus has done in his life. The social rejects, the off-course people, he invites these people to his house. And the party is, is going full swing. They're having all kinds of good conversations. They're enjoying the food. They're drinking. Uh, the good stuff is all going on. And it's wonderful. And as everything is going on here, they're, they're, the, the people that are following Jesus, they're excited. The people that are just new to Jesus, just saying like, oh, okay. They're excited. They're probably exchanging phone numbers and emails and text messages and all this kind of stuff. I mean, feel the room, right? It's what would happen if it was right now. This is what would be happening. And then the door opens. You know what happens when the door opens? In come the religious people. They were late to the party. It's just like a cold wind blew in the room because St. Pius has just entered the room. And they get around the disciples and they start saying, hey, why does he eat with these Publicans and sinners, tax collectors, and sinners. Jesus, somewhere in the room, knows what's happening. He walks over to him and intercepts and says, oh, 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 hang on a second. Look at verse 30 of your Bible. This is where it is. But the Pharisees, religious sect, and teachers of the religious law, complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Wow. Well, Jesus answered them. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 said it this way. Jesus answered and said, the healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere? Now, I go to a place, and it's not a bad place for me to go. But I go to a place... And I go there often, and the people at that particular place don't talk Christianese. <laughs> they drop the F-bomb, the S-bomb, and the B-bomb. And one of the ladies said to one of the other ladies, he don't like it. 
about me. <laughs> he does not like that. And the other lady said, well, he never said anything. He's okay with it. Because I made a point of not going in there with my long face on, no clerical collar, and I didn't tell him all about church. And you know what? Some of them are planning on coming to church. I hope you'll welcome them when they do. Because they are my friends. You have some friends like that? I don't sit around and hum hymns all the time. I don't get drunk and wasted and run around crowding all that. No, I don't. Huh. Jesus transformed Matthew. Transformed him. You say prove it. Okay, let's look at it. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. His original name is Levi. He is the son of Alphaeus. So we know this about him. Levi, son of Alphaeus. And so with this understanding of who he is, his parents would have said to him, oh, we named you Levi. If you follow the Bible, if you know the Jewish culture, you know the Levites were the priestly people. They probably thought he was going to be a priest. They thought he'd be somebody of noble order. He decides not to do that, not to be that. He doesn't become that. Nope. He is not going to be that. What is, what is going to happen? He's going to be a tax collector. And nobody's going to like him. But Jesus comes along and he is going to transform him. And, and Jesus transformed him. And very often when he did that, he even changed a guy's name or a gal's name. He would change her name. So he changes him from Levi. You know what he named him to? You know, of course, we've been calling him that. He names him Matthew. You know what Matthew means? The gift of God. Isn't that powerful? He transformed Many of you know the story of Nicky Cruz. Nicky grew up in Puerto Rico. He became unmanageable for his family. They practiced witchcraft, Satanism, and they also were calling him son of Satan. That's what his mother called him. He became unmanageable, so they sent him to his brother in New York City. Within just a few months, he began to run the streets. Before very long, they made him into, as he joined the gang, into the warlord. He became the leader of his gang. One day, he met up with a pastor whose name was Dave Wilkerson. Dave Wilkerson representing the gospel and representing love and hope. When Cruz met him, he slapped him across the face and said, I'm going to kill you. Wilkerson wasn't deterred at all. As a matter of fact, he set up a revival area, I mean church every night type of thing, in Cruz's territory, in his neighborhood, in his region, in his little domain, what he thought was his domain. And so Cruz and his gang went into the service planning to disrupt it. But instead, he got disrupted because the Holy Spirit began to reach into his heart and into his mind and reached in and said, hey, you don't have to go this way anymore. There is a better life. God loves you. Christ died for you. He rose from the dead. He wants you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And there it was that he recognized something for the first time. It was Jesus and God's love. And he said, I want that. He opened his heart to Christ. Some of his fellow members did as well as gang members of his own gang. They turned in their weapons to the popo. They didn't have to, but they did. They turned them into the police. When they turned them into the police, he, he got a Bible and he starts reading his Bible. Do you read your Bible? 
he started reading his Bible. Then he went off to Bible college. When he went off to Bible college, he learned more about the Lord. And then he returned to the streets. Did you know he returned to the streets? He returned to the streets, but you know what he did when he returned? He started telling other people about Jesus. And many people that were in gangs came to faith in Jesus Christ who transformed them. Oh, what a powerful story. And you know what else happened? Dave Wilkerson started Teen Challenge. Some of our own people benefited from Teen Challenge. Some of you maybe have benefited from Teen Challenge. I meet a lot of people that have. And you've benefited from Teen Challenge. And you know what ended up happening? Nikki Cruz became the director for a while of Teen Challenge. That's transformation, ladies and gentlemen. That is the old made new transformation of the mind, the way you're thinking. Can I get a witness somewhere in this house? Go ahead and give God a praise in the house. And then I noticed something else here. You listen kindly. We'll, we'll, we'll land here in a little bit, but look at this. Jesus made a great choice in selecting Matthew. And you know what? I think he made a great choice in selecting you. Did you know that? Maybe nobody's told you that later. I think he did. I think he made a great choice in selecting you. You know all your foibles, all your warts, wrinkles, blemishes, all your habits, hang-ups, hurts. You know it all. But God, <laughs> he also knows the possibilities, and he knows what can be. And so he has taken a chance with you, just like he took a chance with me. And he can do this with everyone. Look at what verse 28 says of our passage here. And immediately Matthew left everything and he followed Jesus. Matthew became a disciple of Jesus Christ. He became one of those people that were among the 12. Now Matthew knew how to use a pen, right? He's a tax collector. He could use a pen. He knew how to average stuff out, add it up. They didn't have adding machines, but he sure could do it. And so he knew how to do all that kind of stuff. So you know what's so cool about Matthew? Here's what's so cool about him. In my opinion, he came to Christ, but get a load of this. He wrote the gospel of Matthew. He wrote that. Did you know that? Now, he starts out in the most unusual way because he starts off giving us genealogy. If anybody wants to go to sleep at church, start reading genie to theology. It's not fun. But he realized it was great. He writes 14 generations, 14 generations, 14. He just categorized. He keeps in there all the bad people, all the mediocre people, all the really star quality people, puts them all in there. He does all that kind of stuff. Then he gets down just a little bit further in about chapter 5. You know what he started doing? He starts writing down to Jesus up there preaching, and he's back there doing this. Wow, this is good. I'm going to take notes on this. Man, he wrote the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He wrote all that out. And then he remembered, hmm. You know, one day Jesus taught us how to pray. And you know what Matthew did? He starts writing something that we quote pretty often in our church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wrote that right there in his Gospel of Matthew. Isn't that powerful? Pretty good stuff. Pretty amazing. Pastor Justin last week touched on the subject of judging. And, you know, whenever we think about judging, well, Matthew thought about that too because he had been judged a lot of times. And you know what he did? He starts writing in there about judging. Yeah, you don't need to do that. He's a judge. You know, Matthew included something I think is kind of interesting. He, in his gospel, it's called a gospel, in his gospel, he talks about the kingdom. The others don't really focus on that. He spoke about the kingdom 30 times. He used to work for the kingdom of Rome. Now he is working for the kingdom of God. This is why he talks of Jesus as being a king. And so when you come up to about chapter 24, 5, 6, 7, 8, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about end times. I think we're probably living in chapters 
that Matthew wrote right now. And you know what else? He came to the very end and he said, oh, by the way, until Christ does return, you know what you need to know? You need to know this great commission. You need to go out there and tell everybody about him. Go into all the world and teach the gospel for he is going to be with us always. Powerful pen. Unbelievable pen. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but tradition from history tells us, and oral history and all of that, it tells us Matthew continued to follow Christ all the way to the end of his life. And then he was a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ. Well, some people have a hard time getting out of bed and going to church Sunday mornings. Not Matthew. Some people would deny Christ in a New York second. Not Matthew. They came to him and looked for evidence that he was a Christian. They found it. (laughs) And he gave his very life for the Christ who had come by his table one day and said, hey, come follow me. The one he had thrown the party for. The one he had written about. It's pretty powerful. He can do the same for us. And he can do the same for you. Dr. Ed Heinsohn, I never met him, but he influenced and impacted my life. I have a number of his writing. Incredibly brilliant mind. He grew up in the inner city of Detroit. His family did not go to church. His mom heard about a vacation Bible school two blocks away and wanting to get him out from under her feet, said to him, you're going to go to vacation Bible school. It's in the time period. He could walk, so he walked two blocks over to VBS. He went over to VBS, and when he was over there, he heard something he had never heard before. They said to him, God loves you. Christ is his son, and he died for you. And he offers you forgiveness and a new life, and he promises to give you eternal life. And he said, even me? I want that. And they said, yeah, you. He gave his life in fourth grade to Jesus Christ. He went home and told his mom about it. She said, I won't last. But somebody from the church helped mentor him, and the Holy Spirit helped grow him. Eventually, though his dad had dropped out of school in the fourth grade, his dad had never read a book. Most of his relatives had died in their 40s from alcoholism. He set a whole new trajectory for his family. He began to study, and he liked it. He got this degree, that degree, the other. He got so many degrees, we could have called him Dr. Thermometer. He had so many. He earned four doctor's degrees, authored around 40 books about faith. He taught theology and end-time prophecy. And by the end of his life, as he became a professor through his life and a minister around the world, he taught, some of you may have been in his class, he taught in person and online over 100,000 people about theology and end-time prophecy. At his funeral last month, his whole family was sitting here as trophies of grace. That is, his kids and his spouse and the grandkids. And they got up one after another and they started talking about the influence of how funny he was, how brilliant he was, how relatable he was, and how he told them it's all incredible. 
He had passed out for a while. He had come back right before he passed, and he said, I have done an injustice. I haven't told you how great it is. He had already been in and out of heaven. Powerful. Now we saw three people give their testimony to transition to my message. We heard about the man who had tables set and put a couple extra spots at his table. We watched Jesus as we walked along with him and he came to the table where Matthew was and we've been to Matthew's house today. We've stopped by the inner cities of New York with Nikki Cruz and Dave Wilkerson and we have also gone to church with Ed Heinsohn now. Who do you know that you can influence for Christ? Can you do it in just the natural rhythms of life? A wave, a testimony, an invite to a VBS. This last week, we may have had another Ed Heinsohn at our VBS. A boy, a girl, who heard the salvation message for the first time gave themselves to Christ. We can sit here and yawn and say, oh, they're a kid. No, they're a world changer, trapped in a kid's body. And one day, they'll influence forever. And he let us be a little part of that. That's powerful. Do you know Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? What would keep you from opening your heart to him? If you don't know him, I encourage you just to open your heart and just say, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me and come into my life? Be my Savior. He'll do it. He died and rose from the dead for you. You say, Kev, is it that simple? Yes. That unceremonial? Yes. Matthew was at a tax collecting place. The other people were sitting at a table. Cruz was in the inner cities of New York doing gang stuff. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just say, here I am. And he will come in and he will not turn you away. Others will, he won't. Lord Jesus, I don't know how you might use this today, but I thank you for your word. I thank you for it being protected and preserved for us to have right now to this very moment. And I pray that those that are watching and those that are sitting here listening to this message will receive whatever it is you're saying through your spirit right now. Hear the prayer of any who are confessing and receiving you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to be able to turn our heart to you. That when we, like Mike Myers, pass from this life to the next, we won't have any question in that last moment, oh, I've got to make it right. Nope, we're already right. And Lord, we want to live in such a way that our friends won't have to guess where we went when we die. Help them to know that we follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen.